0: So that's Eric. He's a friend of mine. My father-in-law calls him the minister of Mojo. And, uh, it's, it's one of those fun things. Eric was one of the first friends that Eric and his wife, Lacey, were one of the first friends that Carrie and I met when we uh, moved up here five years ago. So it's always fun to have him around and I'm stalling so you can get off the stage. <laughs> uh, would you pray with me? And we'll continue. Father, we thank you for a beautiful day like this. Uh, we thank you that even though we're a week away, you're still risen, Um, and there's nothing taking that away, and we can still take joy in that. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you continue to work in this place? Would you continue to call out things in our hearts? Would you continue to heal us and meet us where we are? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm learning something about myself. I'm married to a therapist, so we're constantly learning things about myself. But there's this thing that I do, if something comes up in life where if I have the remote possibility of feeling unworthy or guilty or embarrassed, I go to this place, and it was given a name uh, a while ago by a friend of mine, and uh, it's when I get distant, I often am internally stressed, but not showing, Carrie can tell, she, she lives with me, but i am just kind of checked out, and uh, my, my friend calls it the shame cave, you ever heard of it? It's the shame cave. It's where you go when you've done something that you're just embarrassed. Maybe you had a conversation, and as you're replaying it in your head, you're like, I should have done that differently. I should have said this instead of this. I should have, uh, I, I, I should have said this at work, or I did this at work, and I'm so embarrassed of it, or I, I did this deed, and I don't want anyone to know, and so We hide. It it, it could be internally. Your shame cave could be someplace like the gym, uh, and say something happens and you're embarrassed, and you just I gotta go work this out. You work out all the angst. Maybe it's a gallon of ice cream, so it's the exact opposite. Maybe it's a gallon of something you drink or something. But maybe it's it's a Netflix gym. It's longer hours at work. Where do you go when you feel remorseful? I'll give you a second till we can all think about it. Where do you go when that happens? That's your shame cave. All of us, in the middle of pressure or boredom or failure, have this place where we go, where we comfort ourselves. For Peter, in John chapter 21, uh, where we'll be spending most of our time today, his shame cave uh, was fishing. He had been following Jesus for three years, and then Jesus had died. But before Jesus died, something happened, and he was embarrassed about it. And so, in order, he, he, he said he'd never abandoned Jesus, and he was pretty animated about this. He said, I would never abandon you, Jesus. He says this in John 6. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to go away from you. And then something happened in, earlier in the story from here, and he abandoned Jesus. And so Peter is feeling pretty shameful. And so he goes to his shame cave. Uh, And I probably say this every single week, but I mean it every single week. We can always find ourselves in the scripture somewhere. And right here is a pretty easy place to find ourselves. Because we all sometimes, most of the time, feel remorse. And when we feel remorse, what do you do? We go to our shame caves. We go to the place where we take ourselves out of the story. We run away, maybe not physically, but maybe we run away mentally and we take ourselves out of what God has called us to do. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want us to stay in the shame cave. He invites us always to the fishing grounds of grace so that we are able to fully enter in the story of hope that God has for us in the world. And so today I want to look at that. When we fail, we need to deal with the shame that instead of hide, hide it. And the way we deal with it is by looking to Christ. So today's sermon is sponsored by the letter P. If you have your outlines, there's three P's there. The last one is different. Uh, It says prophecy in your bulletin. That's my fault. I often redo things on Friday and Saturday and maybe Sunday morning. Uh, The last thing is going to be placement instead of prophecy. So if you're a diligent note taker like I am not, go ahead and cross that out and write placement, P-L-A-C-E-M-E-N-T. I spell good. Okay, John chapter 21, if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, read along with me, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Chapter 21, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this is after Easter. Okay, so after, he appears to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and here's how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, I'd go by Thomas too. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of zebedee that's James and John, and the two other disciples were together. How would you like to be the two other ones? Yeah, and those two guys. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said to them. And they said, we'll, we'll go with you. So they went. They went out and got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Really can't blame them, Right? Uh, they they don't know what's happening Their whole world is shattered they, They've seen Jesus But they're not sure of what to do next And I can't imagine I would do anything different If you're Peter You've blown it You're embarrassed The thing you want to do least Is see Jesus Whom you've blown it for Because you're afraid of what might happen And so he's hiding Was Jesus mad at him? Was he a fraud? Uh, but mostly I think Peter This is a total thing that Peter would do do an action and then think about it later. Think back into Peter's story that we know about. Hey, there's Jesus. He's walking on water. I'm going to go meet him. And then he gets five steps away and then realizes, oh my gosh, there's waves. Or he does, you know, Jesus, I'm going to stick up for you. I'm going to show you my loyalty. Jesus is being rested. Takes out the sword. Doesn't really think about There's a Roman legion around him and he's the only dude with the sword. And so it's always act first, think second. And so Peter, acting impulsive. I'm going fishing. I'm getting out of this place. I'm going to a place where I can hide. Uh, He's probably thinking of all the stupid things that he had said. Back in John 6 again, Jesus just gives a hard teaching, and then everybody else decides to leave. There's other disciples, and Jesus looks at the 12 that were remaining and goes, are you going to leave me too? This is the time where they can opt out. And Peter's, again, talk first, think second. He says this, where else would we go? Well, Peter, you'd go fishing because that's where he went. And I imagine him playing all of these instances over in his head and he just wants to get on with life. He just wants to go to the familiar. After all, he was a fisherman before it started. Remember where Jesus found him? He was fishing. Plus, there's also the practical side to this. He's following Jesus and now Jesus is done in his mind. He doesn't know what to do. He's still got a family at home. He, he has the practical side of it. He needs to make money. And fishing's not a bad occupation, so it makes sense. But as we read through the story, he's going back to what he was, and he couldn't even do that. He fishes all night, and they caught nothing, out all night, nothing to show for it except for some cold clothes. And now he's embarrassed. The last time he went fishing, Jesus shows up on the shore and says, throw your nets on the other side, and they have so much fish, this is in the beginning of Luke, that the nets are breaking. And he goes, I was good at that. I did well, so I'm going to go fishing. And now he comes back, and there's nothing. Early in the morning, in verse four, uh, in Luke, Luke 16, 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And so he said out to them, friends, have you any fish? They answered, he said, throw your fish the other side, and you'll find some more fish. And so they're fishing, and there's no fish, and now Jesus is on the shore again. He says, throw your nets the other side, and you'll find it. Notice how this whole thing starts. They're fishing. It's early in the morning, and John is very keen, if you read through the book, to point out the timestamps early in the morning. He said this before and when Jesus was first risen from the dead and, and in the garden, and Mary went to the tomb. It was, in John's terms, early in the morning. There's something that's always happening early in the morning. It's very metaphorical. John talks about night and day, darkness and light. But here, he's talking about a new day coming. There's a new day in Peter's life that's dawning. There's a new season coming for him. For Peter and the gang, the, the whole they're coming in from a cold night of fishing, and even more, they're confused. There are a bunch of failures, and this guy is on shore. They don't know it's Jesus, and they're coming in, and, and, and they haven't caught anything, and this guy has to rub it in and stand on the shore and go, hey, guys, catch anything? It's the most annoying question, right? No, we didn't. We're a bunch of failures. All we have are colds. And then he rubs it in even further and says, we'll try going to the other side. The disciples, probably like, like Mary and like the, like the disciples on the way to Emmaus, don't recognize Jesus at this point. They don't even know who it is, but they thought, mm, what the heck? Sometimes guys on shore can see where the fish are better than the guys on the boat, right? Not a fisherman, I'm just guessing, but they do it. They throw the net to the other side, and when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And now I wonder, at this point, I wonder which one of them were like, hey, this has happened before. They're pulling in the nets. Some dude on the shore says, try it again, and they're like... This feels familiar. This is like deja vu all over again. This is, this is familiar. And so one of them takes the double take. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when you're, if you're going to write a gospel, refer to yourself as the one who Jesus loved. It's great. That's how John refers to himself. It's the Lord, he says. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. They were not fishing naked. He took off his cloak, and then he wrapped it around him, kind of like a swimsuit, and then jumped in. So don't get any ideas that we should fish naked. And they said, don't worry, Peter. We'll do all the work on our own, is what the disciples said. No, Peter went in, left all of them to haul in the the load of fish. Peter doesn't want to load it in, but he's got some unfinished business for Jesus. We move on to the story, and there are a dozen reasons why they went fishing but they weren't on, they weren't supposed to be fishing. Jesus came back, rose from the dead, not so that they can go back to their former way of living. There's a new life, there's a new day dawning in their lives. And in John chapter 20, uh, verse 21, he says this, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive their sins, they are not forgiven. This is a new commissioning that Jesus gave to every single one of them. He didn't say, I've risen from the dead. Now go back to your old life. He goes, no, 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 no. I've risen from the dead. This is post-Easter. This is still in the upper room. He breathes on them. He fills them with the spirit. He gives them a new life and says, now I'm sending you out to do a new job. He gave them a new role. He gave them a commissioning. in, In reality, he gave them a brand new identity. This is who you were, but now because of the cross, the resurrection, things are different now. There is a new day dawning in your life, and now you have a different job to do. This is a new identity. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There's good news and bad news here. The good news is that Christ has a job for you to do. And when you step into what he has to do, you'll find out what Ephesians 2.10 says, that there are good deeds that we are supposed to do. We have a job. We have an identity. We have a role. We are supposed to do good things. And Ephesians, Paul says, you are workmen's workmanships of Christ. You are Jesus's masterpiece, created to do good stuff. It's the literal translation, good stuff. You are created to do that. You're new creation. The old stuff you used to do, not supposed to do it. But when we look at the story, they are new creations. They have been breathed on with the breath of life. They have the spirit of God in them. And now they've reverted back to the way things used to be. They're not supposed to be fishing that day. They have a new role. And that's the bad news. Good news is you have a new role. Bad news. The way you used to deal with your shame by covering it up, by numbing yourself, that's not how we're supposed to deal with it anymore. What you used to do, you can't go back to doing what you used to do, but sometimes we still do it. Sometimes it's so hard when we're feeling down not to to, to be suckered into buying something on the internet. Is it retail therapy? Clicking on that site that we know we shouldn't be clicking on. We, we drink too much. We work more. We do all of these things to cope for our failures. And here Jesus is saying, no, no, that's the old way of doing things. We don't work harder because, of, uh, because we feel bad. Jesus still loves you. Your identity in Christ is still secure. You don't have to prove yourself to them. Jesus says to the on them on the shore, hey, did you catch anything? Or as some people might say it, you've gone back to your old way of living, thinking that it's going to give you new results. In the words of my, my dear therapist, how's that working for you? It didn't work then. It's not working now. And so Jesus is standing on the shore of their lives saying, hey, you've retreated. Did you catch anything? Is it working for you? Is it numbing your pain? We are filled with God's breath, his spirit, and sent into the world like Jesus was. But when we try to do it on our own terms, we will fail every single time when we try to go back to what we were we will fail every time we will work all night like the disciples did and we'll get nothing instead we'll run into the cave of our shame but when we're there because we all go back there we should all watch for that figure on the shore because there's a new day in our lives and when we listen to our when we listen for his voice then he will call us out then all we have to do is like the servants at the wedding party in John 2 Just do what he says. He's calling us away from shame. He's calling us out of the old way of doing things and into a new way of doing things. When we do things our way, they don't work. I learned this in college twice. I was a music major the first time. I knew I shouldn't have been a music major. I knew the moment I went to college, Brad, you're supposed to be, there was this calling, be a pastor. My friends in high school, because I wasn't the one drinking, I was the one driving them everywhere. And if you drive a lot of drunk people, they give you gas money like all the time. And so I had constantly had a full tank of gas. And so, but my friends would say, Pastor Thayer. And I was like, guys, don't call me that. But I knew then that I was called to do something. So I go to college and I go, you know what? I'm going to be a music major. Shouldn't have done that because it costed me another year of school because I failed at being a music major. I knew by the way that Jesus had me going, the calling that Jesus had for my life, but I kept avoiding it. And every time I avoided it, there was failure. There was another time after all of this, I worked at a church. I, I, I was told to leave and stop working for the church at some point. And, uh, and I moved back home. This was a giant really hard part of my life and so I wanted to avoid ever going back to the church again and so what did I do I I taught myself how to do video editing and graphics and all the computer stuff so I can stay out of that that went well for a while and then it failed because it wasn't where I was supposed to be it wasn't what God had been called I'd been running away and never finding joy there's a story about that in the Bible you ever heard of Jonah and the big fish yeah yeah he runs away from what God had wanted him to do. Go to Nineveh, I've got a, the easiest sermon and it's already written for you. You just gotta go say it and trust me on this one. Jonah runs from it, where's he end up? In a big fish, for you Tale fans. He ends up in the big, big whale, regretting it. When we do things on our own, when we go back to where we were, when we go back to our old identities, it never works out too well and then we usually go in the cycle. Oh, I'm going to be better, and then something happens, and then we go back to it, and then we feel low, and then we go, oh, I'm going to do better, and we keep doing this. And Jesus says, I'm going to stop that. i got a new identity for you. i got a new plan for you. And it's the new day that's dawning in your heart. Not only does he have a new plan for us, this new plan includes participation. Look what happens. Peter's swimming towards the shore. He ditches his friends and lets them haul in the load of fish. And then verse 8, the other disciples... Followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. Does anything stick out to you? Something fishy here? I'm going to let that go. Okay. They were fishing. Jesus says, have you caught anything? And then as they're coming to the shore, Jesus is already cooking fish. He's rubbing this in a little bit more, right? He's kind of like poking them in the side, saying, look, you were trying to get fish. I already had all the fish we needed here, and there's some bread here. Now, there's there's a lot more here. We'll get back to it. <clears throat> but there's some other observations to be made here. He's walk Peter's walking up. Jesus is cooking fish. And here's where it gets interesting. How many of you have a good sense of smell? Smell, yeah, you should. Uh, smell. It is one of those things that can trigger memories. Sometimes smell can be, bring danger. There's smells in your life that you, as soon as you smell, uh, if I were to walk onto a construction site and smell sawdust, I think of growing up because my dad was a builder and I grew up on the site sweeping most of the sawdust. Uh, my, the, my car that I drive used to be my dad's car. Every once in a while I get in it and I can smell my dad. Certain smells trigger certain memories. So here's Peter He's walking up to a charcoal fire. And imagine the smoke coming his way. Imagine what he's thinking the last time he was by a fire. John 18. They said this to him. "Uh, You aren't one of his disciples, are you? This woman asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them. So imagine The last time you're standing by a fire, if you're Peter, at least in the text, it's these small details that that John picks up on that are fascinating. The last time he probably smelt smoke was the most embarrassing night of his life. And now he swims towards shore, and all of the memories that are attached to that failure, they're very hard to forget, and he smells exactly where he was. And now he's walking up to this fire, and Jesus is standing almost in that exact same spot where he failed him last. And Jesus is inviting him to come. He's thinking of all of the memories But see, this is where Jesus steps in. He wants to heal of those memories. He wants to take Peter back into this place of hurt, not to embarrass him, not to rub it in, but to heal him from it, to redeem it. Peter thinks he's going to get chewed out. Peter's probably thinking, I grew up with this uh, with this fear gospel that's totally untrue, but there was this notion that when we go to heaven, there's going to be a big screen like this and that, and they're going to hit play, and I'm going to sit like this, and you're all going to watch every single one of my mistakes on television. That's what I grew up with. It's horrifying. There's some things that should not be seen. And so uh, Peter's probably walking in and thinks, oh no, Jesus is going to air all of my dirty laundry now. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes to that place, and notice what he he does. He doesn't need their fish. He he, he takes Peter back. There's no chewing out. There's no shame here. He walks in, and and Peter's scared. He's not knowing what he's getting into, but Jesus is cooking fish. He's redeeming them. There's another thing to notice here. Peter doesn't get shamed here. Well, We'll see what happens to Peter a little later, but look what Jesus is doing. He doesn't need what they have. Jesus is capable of taking care of himself. John doesn't usually exaggerate his words. Instead, he shows us something very literal Literal here. Jesus, and it's very literal about working under Jesus' direction. It's so easy in Christianity to think that we have to do all of the work. It's so easy for us to think in some cases that God is sitting around in his big rocking chair waiting for us to do something as if if we don't organize it, it's never going to get done. If we don't hurry up, it's never going to happen. If we don't tell people good news, then no one's ever going to hear it. And, and if we don't change the world, then the world will always remain the same. And though there's some truth to this, it's not that God is helpless. As if I, I hear over and over and over again, and there's truth to this, that we are the hands and feet of God. And we are. And though it might be true in some, some metaphorical way, God isn't helpless for us. Whose hands made the sunrise? Who, whose spirit hovered over the water? Whose breath guided us to think and pray and hope and love? As Job finds out when he's having his moment with God, who holds the snow in the storehouses where they keep the snow? God is very capable. We are given the Holy Spirit, which enables us to work for for God, but the Holy Spirit does not act independent of God. The church, nor its members, can never upstage God. Jesus welcomes the catch that Peter gives. He welcomes their work, but there's never a sense that he needs it. Now, it doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy, It doesn't say, well, then we just got to do nothing. No, 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 no. Because there's something happening here. He doesn't need the work, but he'll use it. He invites us to participate. The truth is that Jesus wants to partner with whatever we can do in order that we see his power magnified in and through us. Like here in John, he's going to add their fish to his grill. He says, look, I want to partner with you. I want, you to come, I want to come alongside of you. I want to work in you. If, God, if it is God doing the work, then we try with all of our might, but we have to move away with this idea that it's all up to us, and poor Jesus is unable to lift a finger unless we lift it for him. In fact, the sooner we get rid of that thought, the easier it'll be to get to work because the pressure's off. We are joining him. We're coming, he's coming alongside of us. He's not waiting for us. We get to play a part. Is this making sense? It happened yesterday, right? I'm mowing the lawn. Judah comes out. Judah's my little three year old, and he's rambunctious. You'll hear him in a minute. And I'm mowing the lawn, and he says, Daddy, I want to help. I don't know what a three year old can do with a gas powered lawnmower. (laughs) It's probably not safe. But I say, Okay, bud, let's help. And he gets, walks right in front of me, he puts his hand, and he's mowing the lawn, right? No, I'm mowing the lawn. Judas helping me. Could I have done it by myself? Absolutely. In fact, I ended up doing most of it by myself. But for that 15, 20 yards where his attention span held, he mowed the lawn. Later, he helped me with the weed whacker. It was a beautiful day for Judah. He did a lot of work. That night, we're putting him to bed, and I go in, and we sing. He always wants three songs. Uh, he says, Daddy, I mowed the lawn today. Yes, you did, bud. You did a, you did a fine job, too. <laughs> do you see this? We, come, we, we, we think that we're doing all the work. And when we think we're doing all the work, we get exhausted because we're, we're trying to do it on our own, and it never really works out like that. What's really happening As God's doing this work, we're joining him. We're adding our fish to his grill. We hear it all the time. I'm going to take Jesus here. I'm going to take Jesus to the street. My friend, Jesus is already there. He's already there with fish on there. All you're doing is joining him, working alongside of him. Jesus didn't need their help, but he welcomed it. Jesus doesn't need our help, but he welcomes it. Uh, The disciples were surprised Jesus already has fish. Peter was at peace. The shock of the day is that Jesus is still wanting to partner with them. He hasn't hasn't excluded them. And they're surprised by Jesus. They're surprised by what God is doing here. And when we cease to be surprised by God, that might be the moment that we need to realize that we cease to do business with him. Sometimes in the middle of our plan to run to the shame, Jesus' desire is to still partner with us and place us in his story. That's the last P. You have the plan, you have the partnership, and now we have the placement. In verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, that's like two names, like when when your mom yelled at you and you got the first and middle name. Simon, son of John, uh, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all of these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now remember this. Peter had taken himself out of the game. He had said, I'm going to bench myself. I'm going to step out of this. He ran back to the old way of doing things. He ran back to his old life. But Jesus still has plans for Peter. Jesus still wants to place him in his story. And there's a lot to make of this story. Peter's being brought back. There's a fire, the memories. There's three questions that correspond with the three times Peter denied Jesus. And, And there's the place of regret. But Jesus takes the sin away. He blots them out. He blots my sin. He blots your sin. He forgives, Peter. He reinstates him, but that's not where it stops. There's forgiveness there for Peter. He's three times denied. He's three times restored, but there's also healing. God offers forgiveness from all the brokenness and the sin that we have in our lives, but he doesn't just forgive. He doesn't say, okay, we're good now and move on. He says, okay, we're good now, and let's heal you from this. Okay, we're good, but I'm not satisfied with just you feeling better. I have a better idea for you. I want to heal you from the pain. Jesus takes the sin away, but he offers healing. In Isaiah 43, it says this, I, even I, who blot out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers the sin no more, review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State your case of innocence. This is Isaiah being forgiven, but also now saying that there's healing in front of it. He doesn't just leave the forgiveness. Watch what he does with Peter. It it looks different for everyone. It's the smell of fire. It's the denials. But now there's something else here. Here's what he wants from Peter. There's three questions. There's three answers, but there's two words. In the questions, do you love me, Jesus uses the word agape. Agape is defined like this, to take pleasure in the thing, to prize above other things, to be unwilling to abandon or do without it. So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? What's the definition of agape? To be unwilling to abandon. Peter answers, I love you, but the word that Peter uses isn't agape it's the word phileo there's a joke here and I have to make it phileo fish Uh, thank you okay that's great Peter says I love you but he doesn't do the same level of love he gives him the friendly type of love you can say that he he put Jesus back in the friend zone he said Jesus says are you willing to not abandon me and Peter Peter won't go there he says I think you're cool Then he asks the same question again. Peter, do you love me? That means you will not abandon me again. And Peter says, I still can't go there. I'm not ready. I phileo you. We're good. I, I like you like a friend. Until the last time, Jesus does something different. Instead of saying, Peter, do you agape? He says, Peter, do you phileo me? And then that's why Peter's upset And the third time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. The third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. All of this is interesting, but sometimes we can lose the point in the search of the interesting. Here you have Peter. He's uh, He's taking himself out of the story. He's denied. He's ran away. He's met there. And then Jesus still wants to use Peter. And notice Jesus, after these these questions, there wasn't a, we're good now. Instead, after every single one of these questions, there's a new commission. Do you love me? Peter can't go there. He can't say with the confidence, I love you and I will never abandon you. He's not sure of himself anymore. And And Jesus says, it's okay. New commission. Feed my sheep. Jesus, I'm not sure I love you as much you love me, is what Peter's saying. And Jesus goes, that's fine. I can use it. Peter can't promise agape. He won't say it, but each time Jesus was okay with that. In other words, this, he knows that if we're going, we're going to fall down again. He knows that there's going to be times where we revert back to the way we used to be, when we go back to our plan. He knows there's going to be time when we take ourselves out of his calling and, and place ourselves on the sideline. He knows that. But that excuse isn't good enough to never participate again. Do you love Jesus? Chances are, not as much as Jesus loves you, and that's fine. He'll use it. Are you ashamed and you're afraid you're going to fall down again? You're afraid you're going to make the same mistake again? That's fine. That doesn't get you out of the game. You're still a part of the story. He'll never abandon you. And he'll use whatever love you have in order to use you in his story. That's what Peter's learning here. Peter shows us that you don't have to have it all together in order to follow Jesus. I don't have to have it all together in order to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus meets us where we can't meet him. All, that we can, all this so that he can use us in his plan. Peter says, I love you, but I don't trust myself anymore. Jesus says, that's fine. I got work for you to do anyways. Let's stop the excuses and get back to work. Let's stop the running and get back to what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know about you, but I can come up with very, a very long list of why I shouldn't be standing here. And some of it happened yesterday when Judah was trying to mow the lawn with me. I know a bunch of reasons. That, and I know that, that should put, and now I know that I should be in the shame cave for a very, very long time. And maybe you're there now too. But you and I weren't meant to live in the caves. You and I weren't meant to hide. We're given a calling. We're given a new name. We're given a, when our plan is is to run. God's plan is to use us. When we're not good enough, we're called to partner with Christ. When we've given up on our position, we're given a placement. A new day has dawned for each one of us. It's a new day, and the light shines into the darkest places of your life. And Jesus says, "It doesn't matter." Yeah, you're broken. I've come to heal that place. Yeah, you're full of shame. It's cool. I've come to, I've come to call you out. Yeah, you're going to fall down. You're going to sin again. That's fine. There's forgiveness every single time. You're not disqualified. There's a new life that brings a new season. So the encouragement to us is let's stop living in yesterday's mistake and let's get on with the mission of today. It's time to come out of the cave. We have work to do. We have a calling that sits in front of us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you do not abandon us. Jesus, you do love us more than we love you. And that's okay. You still use us. You still want to use, you still want to partner. You still give us a new name. And though we define ourselves in a thousand different ways besides the right way, You define us as your beloved child whom you would die for, whom you came back for. And you want to use us to partner with you. And so Lord, we thank you for that. God, I have the sense to pray for people here who have taken themselves out, who have said, I can't be forgiven, I can't. God can't use me. I'm too messed up. I made a mistake. I did this. I did that. Lord, would would your spirit breathe on them again? Lord, may they know that you want to still use them. Mistakes and all. That you've come to forgive. You've come to heal. You've come to partner with. And you will not abandon. Though we run away and go back to fishing or shopping or whatever, you don't. So God, may we see you on the shore today, inviting us to come back. It's in your name we pray.